Philippians this evening, uh, book of Philippians. I want to just make a couple of mentions as well. I'm grateful for uh, Caleb, got a has been so faithful here, working working here, and he went, got uh, me the opportunity to speak to a group of students last night over at SDSU, so I really appreciate that, that, uh, that uh, opportunity to meet some good good young people and, and uh, some sincere young people and hopefully be an impact to them. And then uh, pray also maybe for, for me, if you think about it, on Friday we'll be going to, to preach at a, at a pastor's meeting on, on uh, this coming Friday, so... Uh, they gave me a whole two days to prepare, so <laughs> ask me today. That's good. That's all right. You need to be ready to go at all times, but uh, you pray for that. Philippians chapter 1 is where we're at this evening. Philippians. Uh, I'm praying about, I'm, I'm kind of waffling between two different, uh, we've, we finished our series on Wednesday night, and which direction to go next. And I was doing a little study on Philippians this week, so... Uh, we'll start out here in Philippians. If we continue, that's fine. If we don't, we'll, we'll go another direction. But uh, a lot we can learn from this book. Uh, Paul has been put in prison for preaching the gospel. Uh, and there, in prison, he took up his pen. And as so many times uh, has happened with, with, with Paul, you know, he, he wasn't the world's best speaker, according to what the Bible says. He was not a strong in presence, but he was very strong in pen. And I think it's interesting that God... Uh, for God's best will to be done through Paul, uh, he locked him up. And Paul did his best ministry by his writing and, and what he can then contributed to the word of God. But when you read the epistle of Philipp Philippians, it's like Paul's in a palace, not a prison, the way that he talks. He's not discouraged. He's not moaning. He's not griping. Uh, so we know that Paul converted some of his guards. We, we know that through his writings. But he also converted his chains. If you think about it, you can you can uh, complain about the chains that you have, or you can convert them into the uh, bonds of Christ, and that's where he put them. He put them in the category of that good and acceptable and perfect will of God that he talks about in Romans twelve two, and so. Uh, I, I, I like the attitude. Man, I just tell you, I love hanging around people with a good attitude. Uh, I like hanging around people with a positive attitude. And uh, somebody with a bad attitude will just suck the energy right out of you and will suck the energy right out of the day. You know what I mean there. And so uh, this book overflows with praise, with rejoicing, despite the fact that Paul is in prison. I want to look at verses 1 through 5 to start out with this evening, chapter 1. Paul and Timotheus, the servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus, which are at Philippi, with the bishops and deacons, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making request with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. We may read a little more in a minute, but that's where we'll stop. Uh, but let's go to Lord in prayer and ask him to be with us this evening. Father, we are thankful to be here and, and thankful for those that are, are working in the back and, and uh, such faithful servants. I pray you'd help us here now as we see some scriptures and uh, unpack some verses. And Lord, be a help to us in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to mention that too. You know, we had... We had uh, two workers out tonight due to sickness and have other people kicking in and helping out there. So always be praying for our workers uh, in the back teaching the kids and appreciate Brother West has been driving the bus lately helping out there. So that's a, that's a blessing. Philippi is the first city in Europe that Paul ministered 
uh, gave the gospel to. In Acts 16, we see his original ministry in this city. At that time, he had just come from Troas, where you remember he had a vision from a man from Macedonia, basically telling, come and help us, Acts chapter 16, verse 9. And so they went from Troas, where he was at, uh, to the port of Philippi, which was 125 miles away. Uh, Paul was with Silas and with Timothy and uh, also with Luke, and they made that journey, according to what the Bible says, in two days. Uh, Paul's experiences in Philippi uh, are recorded, the, the original ones are in Acts chapter 16. We, we know the story. Uh, he first met a group of women that were meeting at the river on the Sabbath, and, and uh, to what extent they were, uh, they at least thought they were worshiping God, whether it was exactly the way that, uh, the right way, but they were devout women. Uh, one of them was named Lydia, seller of purple. And Paul gave them the gospel. They eagerly accepted what he gave them. Uh, in fact, Lydia opened her home to uh, the disposal of Paul and his colleagues while he was there. And uh, then, then uh, a few verses after that, uh, Paul meets a demon-possessed girl. Her handlers are making all kinds of money off of her psychic powers that she had when it was demon-related uh, there. And and Paul delivers her from that, uh, to much to the ire of her handlers. And so they stir the city up against Paul. They, they pull Paul and Silas before the magistrates. They had a mock trial. And before we know it, Paul and Silas are in the stocks uh, in the middle of the prison. Uh, they are beaten, and they get to reflect on the first results of their missionary journey into this first European city. I often wonder what uh, different responses we might have given in that situation. You know, I think, Silas, that God might be calling us to another continent. What do you think? Maybe the Lord has different plans for us. We sometimes, uh, we sometimes interpret God's plan according to our difficulty. Have you ever noticed that? If, it, if the going gets hard, God has a different plan for me. Uh, Paul and Silas, they reacted not in bitterness, not in, in moaning and complaining, uh, not in anger. Their reaction was to sing. Now, we know the story. There was an earthquake. The prisoners were all released, and, and uh, the jailer, thinking everybody had escaped, was ready to kill himself, but none of them had ran off. Uh, then, of course, the jailer's conversion. And so that was on his first trip there. Now, the next morning, I find it interesting, when when the jailer, uh, the magistrate sent to the jailer, uh, you can free those prisoners now. And Paul, I think it was a favor maybe to the new converts. He's going to put the magistrates a little bit on the spot. And uh, he he tells them that, uh, he then informs them that he and Titus are Roman citizens. Now, this is a uh, this is an area which Rome was very prevalent, so they should not have done what they did to them as Roman citizens. So, in fact, Paul says they want to release them, release us, let them come themselves and release us, which they did. Uh, and uh, they begged them to leave the city. Uh, they went back to Lydia. They had a little bit of a revival meeting there with the believers at her house, and then they left Luke behind to do the follow-up work. This is the first, this, this is his opening work in the city of Philippi. Now he's writing to the Philippians. The purpose of the letter is to thank his friends there for his financial support they had given him and then to ask some of them to put aside their bickering. <laughs> uh, once in a while that has to be, uh, you know, whenever you deal with people, you have that. And the Philippian church had that. And so he was in prison, but it did not affect his Christian victory. One of the things I love about the book of Philippians is that uh, it, it, it is overflowing with joy despite really bad circumstances. 
And this is, a, this is the theme of the letter is joy, even though uh, he's in a bad place in his life. So no matter what the circumstance we are on, we are on the winning side and we need to be grateful for it. Like Paul was, love the little challenge we had tonight, uh, ending up with grateful, being grateful. If we live a life of gratefulness, what a difference that makes. And uh, if we had that attitude, it would be a help. True joy, we know, eludes most people today's day and age. Man, if, if you dare, turn on the news. It is just a depressing sight these days to turn on the news. You've got people just railing and going off on uh, wanting to impeach this person. And, wanting, and, and then, you know, you can't hardly turn on the news in the past couple of weeks without finding that in 11 years we'll all be dead because of climate change. And so uh, don't worry about eating right. Don't worry about eating healthy anymore. Just eat, do whatever you want because we're all going to be dead anyway in 11 years because of climate change. They said that of course, 11 years ago and, and 20 years ago and 30 years ago as well. But uh, this, is, this is a world we live in, a very, a very stressed out and unhappy generation. Uh, so we have, life is like disappointment, disillusionment, and then death. That's what, that's what the world has to look forward to. We, as Christians, obviously, we know we have a different future ahead of us. And uh, even though we're in an unstable culture, like Paul, we can have that joy and that peace in the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, baseball player Willie Mays said, it, it's not difficult to have a great game in baseball. What's difficult is to be great in every game. And that's true in life, isn't it? Not We all have our up days, don't we? Our days on the mountaintop when we feel good and everything's going fine, and then the next day, you know, everything goes south on us. We have, the, we have those up and downs. So how can we be great as a Christian even when circumstances are bad? Well, Philippians gives us much of this help here. So that's what we want to look at. The letter begins with the word Paul. Now, as customary in those days, Paul began his letter with his signature. And how exciting that would be to the recipients there at the Church of Philippi. I, I imagine there was a buzz in the church when they got that letter. I'm sure they had mailboxes like we do, and you put the letters in. I don't know if they had a copier, but at any rate, they read this letter to the church. Lydia would be all excited uh, as she recounted her story. Think about the slave girl that was probably still in church there. Uh, she would be excited to recount what happened to her when she was set free by Christ. I imagine the Roman jailer was uh, in church there with his family, and he too would remember what happened that night that Paul was in prison. His life was changed forever. And so Paul and Timotheus then, he says, uh, Timothy's name too would bring back memories. He, he was half Jew, half Gentile, totally Christian. He was, he was a go-getter, on fire for God. Uh, he was one of those enthusiastic servers, ready to run Paul's errands, arrange for meetings, and, and do all those little details. Uh, when Paul, Silas, and Timothy left Philippi, they probably missed him almost as much as they did Paul. And then he called themselves the servants of Jesus Christ. Now, it's interesting because in most of Paul's letters, he mentions the fact that he is an apostle. He does not do so to the letter of Philippians. He just calls himself a ser servant. Uh, there's no need for Paul here to state his apostleship because he's not coming from a place of authority like he often is in some of the other epistles. Uh, in 1 Corinthians, 
he had to rebuke carnality in the church. In Ephesians, uh, or I'm sorry, in Galatians, we just went through the book of Galatians, uh, he had to address some serious doctrinal error, error in the church. And so uh, he started out by reminding them who he was and the authority with which he spoke to them. But here he's not coming from a place of authority. Uh, he's not a stranger to them. He's not doing what he did in Ephesians where he's opening up a mystery to them, a mystery of the local church and those things. And so Paul is no stranger. He's not breaking any theological ground. He is simply encouraging them. And of course, uh, he is, does deal with, with a little bit of the squabbling in the church, uh, but he comes at it uh, more as a friend rather than apostolic authority. The word translated servant here, uh, doulos, is used by Paul 30 times in his epistles. Uh, it literally means slave or bond servant. Paul interestingly enough, was a humble man. Now, sometimes we look at some of his epistles, it might not seem like it, but if you if you look at his writing, you know Paul was a very humble person. He saw himself as the Lord's property. Now, how does a person sit in jail and have joy? Uh, well, the first thing that we can do is recognize we are God's property. Wherever God has me, whatever God does with me is his business, and I'm going to have joy in it. Isn't that a great attitude to have? So if bad things happen... Obviously, God's allowed this in my life, and so I'm going to have a good attitude through it. So his mind was enslaved, his body was enslaved to Jesus Christ. Over and over, Paul, in his letters, uh, refers to himself and those with him as servants of Jesus Christ. Now, we could chalk that up to his modesty, and we did, did just say he's a humble man. I believe he was. But yet, is there a greater calling in the world than to be a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ? There isn't. Uh, there's no, no, nothing greater that we could do. Now, in an age that so many churches today entertain, uh, seek to entertain, uh, we, we often miss out on the joy that's found in serving others. It's interesting. Every church, every church has people that are consumers and people that are uh, contributors, you know, just churches are made up differently of different people. They're all in different stages of life. Uh, you know, if you really want to, uh, if you really want to do something for God, or if you really want to be a blessing to the Lord and the Lord's service, uh, get involved in serving Him. You miss out on a lot of joy when you're not serving in some capacity, or serving others even uh, in and out of church. So be a servant. John Bunyan said, "You have not lived today until you've done something for someone who can never repay you." Think about that. Someone who can't do anything for you. I've often uh, heard the statement, and I think it's absolutely true. You can tell a lot about the character of a man or, or a woman who, and how they treat people who can do nothing for them. And now it's one thing for us to serve those who can benefit us. How about those that can do nothing for us? I think of the, the kids, you know, uh, people that are teaching back there. It can get uh, as to be a headache sometimes, and they're not always... They're not always a joy. <laughs> Sometimes they're a burden. Uh, but that service, I think, pleases the Lord. This was, by the way, the purpose of our Savior. The Bible says in Matthew 20, 28, Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. Now, school counselors, psychologists, uh, many others today emphasize self-esteem and self-image uh, to be high. But the Bible says in Romans 15, 3, even Christ pleased not himself. And I think that we are, there, there's a reason, that the, out, the outcome 
of trying to teach a generation all about how they should have high self-esteem and catering to the self-esteem of a generation, should we be surprised then when they grow up to be very, very selfish and self-centered? Because that's now what we're seeing in, in young people as they're growing up. And so uh, serving others, we know from the words of Christ, is more blessed to give uh, than it is to receive. Joy is not found in getting something from church. It's joy is found in giving to the church in service to the Lord. So Paul and Timothy were glad to give of themselves as servants of God to the church. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, 5, for we preach not ourselves, but Christ. Now, going on here, I'm, I'm just going to take this line by line. To all the saints in Christ Jesus, which are at Philippi. Now, there's an interesting turnabout here. Notice the order of the words Jesus Christ when he called themselves the servants of Jesus Christ. It implies Jesus who humbled himself but is now exalted and glorified. Uh, Paul also took on the humble uh, position of a servant. He just called himself that. And so I, I think that that, that Paul, well, we know one of the purposes of the letter is dealing with uh, squabbling in the church, which always... I think we can safely say comes from a point of pride. And so he's dealing with pride right here. Uh, then he addresses the Philippian saints as in Christ Jesus. This is the opposite order. This suggests the exalted one who humbled himself. The knowledge of what we still are ought to keep us humble, shouldn't it? Now, the problem is that we often compare ourselves to others. And so in doing so, we think we're better off than we really are. But let's not forget who we are. We are wicked sinners saved by grace, thankfully, but we're only a sinner saved by grace. And so let's not ever let ourselves be filled with pride. Uh, it, it's, it, is it not evident that the Holy Spirit, his work in you is not finished yet? Ask your wife, she'll tell you. Ask your husband, he'll tell you. Uh, then, uh, so we, we need to have that humility. And then he says, with the bishops and deacons, with the bishops and deacons, the word translated bishops here is episkopos, it's an overseer. Uh, it's translated overseers, same word in Acts chapter 20, verse 28, in direct reference to shepherding. Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers. Now the same people addressed in Acts 20, 28 are called elders in Acts 20, 17. I'm not going to belabor this point. Uh, we've went over this before in different studies, but elders and bishops are one and the same. Elders, bishops, and pastors are one and the same. And so uh, I know that there's some churches that pull out different types of elder rule and all that, but, but uh, I think the Bible's clear. Uh, elders, bishops, pastors, they're one and the same. And then he says, and deacons. Now deacons, this is diakonos, uh, 22 times in Paul's epistles. Uh, a deacon is, the meaning of the word, is one who executes the commands of another, a servant or a waiter. Now in the Bible, the deacons took care of the more secular affairs of the early church. Uh, the bishops, the elders, the pastors took care of the spiritual end of it. Philippians chapter 1, verse 1 is the only place that these two offices are mentioned uh, together. Now the function of deacons is found in Acts chapter 6, 
this is not the word deacon is never used there. You'll find preachers that will argue that wasn't deacons they're talking about there, but I believe it was uh, the function of the of what they were supposed to do there in the church. Uh, the pressures of the mundane side of local church work has been increasing on the apostles. And uh, and I take a moment to say that a lot of a lot of ministry is mundane. There's a lot of ministry work that we could consider mundane work. Uh, just It's just things that have to be done. You know, the church building, uh, the office has to continue going, the mail, uh, the phone, the messages. People have to be called back. People have to be contacted, hospital visits, all kinds of things. There's just a lot of things that are are, are somewhat mundane. And then people constantly, people are needing help and, and uh, get going through ministering to those type of people as well. And so they propose that the Jerusalem church look for seven men to whom these tasks could be delegated. Now, I do believe as well, I make this statement because I believe with all my heart, this does not mean that these tasks are less important than the other things the apostles were doing. They are more positional than, look, I'm above that, so I'm going to have somebody, a minion, take care. That's not the idea at all here in Acts chapter 6. It was important work. It was uh, taking care of the widows and, and other things of the church. So these things are important, and so they asked for them to find seven men uh, that uh, to help keep going, uh, keep the ministry going. Uh, there's a lot more to running a ministry than s- standing behind the pulpit. And most of you are aware of that because most of you are involved in different aspects of uh, running the ministry. Uh, but when I stand behind the pulpit, because I've communicated this before, I think I'll do so again, but uh, my desire uh, and my in, in my personal life, I, I maintain very strict standards of of uh, time for my study, and and uh, that I don't allow myself to be shortchange myself or you in that area. When I stand behind the pulpit, and I hope I hope it comes across this way, because my desire is to serve meat when I stand behind the pulpit. Um, I don't want to just rattle off uh, something random because I feel I've always felt this way. We had 101 people on Sunday. Uh, if, if you're a couple here tonight, thank you for being there because you put us over 100. Uh, we had 101 people. I, I, feel, I believe this with all my heart, that if I do not do my very best, if I do not ask God's help on me, if the, if, if the Spirit doesn't help me in it, that I have not wasted one hour on Sunday morning. I've wasted 101 hours. Does that make sense? And so it, it behooves me. It's very heavy on me that I don't want to uh, come unprepared uh, to the pulpit. Uh, all that being said, the mundane work is very important too. Uh, the behind-the-scenes work, that's all very important. It's just it can't all be done by one person. And so the, that's why I say all that to say this. Uh, in Acts 6.3, here's the kind of men they wanted. Men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom. I think today that many churches make a mistake in, in searching for deacons or looking at who would make a good deacon that we look for a good businessman or someone who's successful and we uh, look at that as a good prospect for deacons. You know when they searched for them in Acts 6, they said nothing about any kind of business acumen or success. Full of the Holy Ghost, honest report, and wisdom. Wisdom I think is important too. I, I, I don't think I would have a 20-year-old deacon. You know, I'd want some wisdom in there, uh, some some experience. And so uh, I think these qualifications, we ought to remember those uh, in, in our church right here. 
We want deacons, our deacons are going to be at church faithfully. They're going to be serving faithfully. And thankfully, our deacons do serve very faithfully. And so I think that's an important thing. They're an important part of the ministry, as is everybody. I'm just pointing out that Paul specifically mentioned them here. And so, by the way, two of the seven that they did choose went on to do some great things. You know, Stephen became the first martyr. He was in that group. Philip became the first missionary. He was in that group as well. Stephen and Philip are good examples of Paul when he said, in, of what Paul said in 1 Timothy 3.13, for they that have used the office of a deacon will purchase to themselves a good degree and great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. I'm thankful for godly deacons. I really am. Uh, and and they they uh, we, we we have a good group here at our church and uh, of course been able to serve with many in the past and so I'm grateful for that. So then he goes on, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Paul he, he again gives his blessing on the congregation. It, it's it's usually it, it's what he does usually always gives some kind of blessing to them. Uh, but it has added importance in this letter, I believe, because there's a dispute going on, at which he'll deal with later. But he says, "Grace and peace, uh, grace be unto you, and peace from God." Uh, when there is grace, there can be no commencement of hostilities. When there is peace, there can be no continuance of hostilities. Grace tells us that war is impossible. If you have grace, war is impossible. If you have peace, the war is over. Amen. That's what we celebrate when the when the uh, war is over. You know, we have our our, our marches and our our parades because we're celebrating peace. The war is over. And so he's trying to bestow that on the church here. Uh, by the way, every church needs a good dose of grace and peace. Amen? Uh, that's what we have to have as well. So it's because of the gift of grace that we can enjoy uh, the gift of peace. Without God in our lives, uh, neither one of these are really possible. Isaiah chapter 57, verse 19, peace. Peace to him that is far off and to him that is near, saith the Lord, and I will heal him. But the wicked are like the troubled sea when it cannot rest, whose waters cast up mire and dirt. There is no peace, saith God, to the wicked. Boy, they search for it. They try to get it, but there just is no peace for the wicked. A few chapters later, he says in 59.8, The way of peace they know not. There is no judgment in their goings. They have made the, them crooked paths, Wherever going, whoever goeth therein shall not know peace. Now the world offers a certain amount of pleasure for a season, but it cannot offer peace. Jesus Christ offers peace, and he does that how? By overcoming the world. Amen? So John sixteen thirty three. these things have I written unto you, that in, in me you might have peace. In the world you'll have tribulation, but uh, be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. So the peace comes by overcoming the world because the world offers no peace. Now we often think that peace comes at salvation, uh, one of the results of the forgiveness of sins. And it's maybe an element of that. Peace is a part of salvation. But God gives us a sustaining peace that uh, goes through, really carries us through the difficult times. And a lot of that comes with spiritual maturity. 
I mean, have you been in times of Christian life when you don't have peace? I think all of us have been there. Just because we're saved doesn't mean we always have peace. Uh, peace is that calm of mind that is not ruffled by adversity. Uh, it is not overclouded by regret. It's not disturbed by fear. Psalm 29, 11, the Lord will give strength unto his people. The Lord will bless his people with peace. If we have peace, it's a gift from God. Uh, we ought to be grateful for it. Grace and peace. Priceless. For everything else, there's MasterCard. But let's go for grace and peace. Amen. And then he says, I thank my God on every remembrance of you. Now, this is a little bit of a personal reminder when I read this. How many people there are that we ought to be grateful for? I think Paul, this is another part of Paul's humility. I thank my God on every remembrance of you. I was thinking when I read that statement and, and I was just writing some things down yesterday uh, as I was preparing for this. And you know, when I was 11 years old, uh, a pastor took my family under his wings, spent hours and hours of his time uh, just teaching us. He led me to Christ, led my family to Christ. Uh, gave us a good foundation as we went forward uh, and, and it just did such a great work. He'll be here next year. I'm really excited about it. He'll be our speaker at our pastor's conference. Uh, when I was in college my first year, I think it was the first month, and uh, now, my goodness, they got cell phones. They can Skype and all this. Kind of, when I went to college back in the dark ages, uh, there was no such thing as cell phones. We had one payphone in the whole dorm, and it was in the middle of the halls. There was never any privacy. It helped me because when I called home, I could speak Amish, and nobody could understand me. So I could have privacy, but nobody else could have privacy. And uh, I remember I was on the phone one night just weeping my eyes out. I wanted to quit. I wanted to go home. I was just absolutely home. I was homesick to the point to where I was about to be uh, just heart to burst, you know. And, uh, and one of the guys wrote wrote me a letter. While I was talking, must have went to his room and wrote me a letter of just a little short note of encouragement. And he walked by and dropped it in my lap. That made a big impact on me. And it wasn't hard for him to do, but he made a big impact on me. Uh, years later, the lowest point of my ministry life uh, that, uh, that, that, that uh, happened in our life about eight years ago. And I wanted to quit. I wanted to just throw in the towel of ministry completely. And, and a pastor poured himself into me at that time. And these different people, we could all share stories like that. And I think it's healthy for us to have a remembrance of those people. It's a healthy thing for us once in a while to pick up the phone and, hey, thanks for your investment in me. You know, it's made a difference. It's made an impact. And uh, people that set our lives on a course. How many people can you point to that really had a part in setting your life on the right course? And Paul says, I thank my God on every remembrance of you. Hey, a lot of people helped us get where we are, and we ought to be grateful for it. No doubt Paul mentioned it also with the hope that others would follow his example, uh, being grateful for one another. Then he says, always in prayer of mine for you, making all requ making request with joy. Paul had a persistent prayer life. He told the Romans in Romans 1.9, he prayed unceasingly for them. He told the Corinthians he was always thanking God for them, 1 Corinthians 5, uh, 1, 4. He told the Ephesians he ceased not thanking God for them, Ephesians 1, 16. Colossians 1, 3, uh, he told the Colossians he was always praying for them. The Thessalonians, uh, the, uh, he told Timothy that, told Philemon that. Every book, he's faithfully praying for them. For them. Now, what's interesting is 
and, and this is applicable to us too. Satan could take a lot of things away from Paul. Paul could not travel right now. He's in jail. Paul could not go to new continents and present the gospel like he did to Philippi. He could not take men with him and train him like he did to Barnabas and Titus and Timothy and, and Mark even at one point, taking these men with him and pouring himself into them. These are things that Paul could not do because Satan had taken that ability away from him, but Paul could pray. Satan could not take that away from him. It's a good thing for us to remember if we're ever on our backs or we're, our health is bad or some of our abilities are taken away or age starts to take over, you can still pray and prayer can have a tremendous impact uh, for the kingdom of God. And so Satan could not keep Paul from praying. So Paul might have been locked up, but it didn't stop him from looking up. Amen? And he continued to do that, uh, go to the throne of grace day and night. By the way, a praying Christian... I believe, is much more of a danger to Satan than one who is like Martha, cumbered about with much serving. Don't you think? And so let's be a praying Christian. And uh, then making requests. Paul made requests to God on their behalf. He remembered He remembered the city, uh, what that happened when he went there, the uproar in that city. And so he uh, prayed to God for their protection. He heard about the conflict between these two sisters in the church, so he prayed for their peace. The Philippians were to spread the gospel, so he prayed for their progress. They were generous in supporting the Lord's work with their money, so he prayed for their prosperity. Let me just, uh, and, and we're going to close here because we're out of time, but let me just uh, challenge you with this. How faithful are we to pray for one another? Just lifting one each other up in prayer. I know there's people in here right now that pray for me every single day, uh, and they've told me that. And she, that means the world to me, and I'm grateful for it. Uh, and we need to be praying for one another. Uh, I certainly, certainly, as a pastor, you know, we kind of expect the pastor needs to be praying for his people. We all need to pray for one another, shouldn't we? And so uh, that helps. I I've uh, shared with you before. Uh, one of my habits is to to go around in the church and. And pray for you as to where you sit. That's why it messes me up so much when you move. You know, don't ever move. You got to stay in the same spot. And so when I come and uh, you know I come by your place and I I can pray for you as I I move around the church building. That's important. We need to be lifting each other up in prayer. Uh, one of the reasons is because none of us really can understand. We can ask and we can talk about and we can we can discuss and we can encourage, but none of us really can enter into the burden that another person is carrying. I was reading something this week and how true it was, but, uh, you know, the Bible says, bear you one another's burdens. But when it really comes down to brass tacks, we, we can't, nobody can carry my burden. I mean, they, can, they can encourage me. Nobody can really carry your burden either. And, and we, you know, we, we ought to try the best that we can to help and assist and but when it comes down to it, a burden is a personal thing. It's something that really can't be completely and utterly lifted off of our shoulders. And so uh, I, I, prayer helps in that area. And so let's constantly be making this request. Uh, he not only did he say, always in every prayer of mine for you, all making re requests with joy. By the way, Paul Southern, you can see it right there. He's, he uses the word you all many times, so we know he was a Southern guy. Uh, making requests with joy. Making requests is important there. Let's make those requests for each other. Specific requests. I think that making requests is a neat addition in there because Paul's not just, hey, be with James, be with Wes. He's making requests in there, specific requests. And uh, he's going a little further. 
Paul must have had a giant prayer list. I mean, because look at how many people he told that he prayed for them daily. And so he was, he was uh, faithful in prayer to these folks, and we ought to be uh, doing the same. He ends it up with joy. Joy is one of the keynotes of this letter. It's one of the, it is the theme of this letter. And so he is making, uh, he's praying for them. He's lifting them up. He's making requests, and he's doing it uh, with joy. Let's be faithful in this area here. Uh, many things that we see already that, that, that in Philippians that Paul's doing, but, but I think that this is a great place to close on here just as a challenge to us in uh, being a prayer warrior for one another.